if Lowe's Home Improvement locates in one place, what business is going to locate across the street or at least nearby? Wherever AutoZone locates, Advance Auto Parts will be close by. Wherever the designer name is hanging, the knockoff brand will be hanging on a rack nearby. Wherever the brand-named medication is shelved, the generic medication will be shelved nearby. Now, I'm not suggesting that Lowe's is better than Home Depot, or that AutoZone is better than Advance Auto Parts, or that generic medications are not as good as the brand name. I'm merely suggesting this, that they are so similar That when one comes along first, the other comes quickly behind. And in close proximity to, hoping to benefit and take away from the business of the other. Now that's a reality. You can drive around Charleston and see all these businesses located thusly. That physical reality reminds me of a spiritual truth. Wherever God deposits his truth, Satan will come quickly and in close proximity to deposit his lie. That's our reality. Because Jesus says he is our enemy and that he comes only as a thief to steal what belongs to God. And he attempts to do this by locating his lie so close to God's truth. Now, the danger for you and for me is that the lie is not always discernible. It can appear so similar to the truth. Scripture tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He puts a veil over his ugliness. He masks his lies. Is he an angel of light? Absolutely not. Can he look like an angel of light? Apparently so. Now here's the reason that I'm highlighting that this morning. And that's because we are going to talk about doing good works. The fruit of good works. The truth is that it's God's will and it's for God's glory that his people bear the good fruit of good works. And so, therefore, Satan locates his truth nearby. All we have to do is look at the history of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and back through 2,000 years of church history to see that a battle has raged, has swirled around the fruit of good works that our Father wants us to produce. Our enemy doesn't want us to produce any good fruit at all. But if he can't prevent that, then he lures us to do good works for the wrong reason, and in that way turns good fruit into bad fruit, all the while causing us to think that we're doing good, that we're Jack Horners, that we put in, suck in our thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. But we can have hope. We can unmask The lie, take off the veil as repentant people. Listen, as repentant people, you and I can abide in Christ and we can produce the fruit of good works because the truth is God has called us to abide in Christ. 
God has called us to produce the fruit of good works. So we're going to talk about this morning as we turn once again for several weeks now out of lost count to John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John chapter 15. And when you've found your place there, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. I am the vine, and excuse me, beginning in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we need you. We thank you that we have you present with us through the power of your Spirit, who indwells your people. Thank you for your word, that it's true. We pray now, Spirit of God, that you would join the truth of your word and bless it to our hearts so that we might be people who bear much fruit, good fruit, the fruit of good works for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On the Tuesday after Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was leaving the temple with his disciples. And one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And so all the disciples began to talk about the beauty of the temple. After seeing the temple for a lifetime, They were still awed by it. It was both large and lavish. The courtyards around the temple, 35 acres. The temple itself was made of marble and gold and was 150 feet tall, over 15 stories high. The ancient historian Josephus says this, The temple had doors also at the entrance. And the lentils over them of the same height as the temple itself. The doors were adorned with embroidered veils, with their flowers of purple and pillars interwoven. And over the doors was spread out a golden vine with its branches hanging down from a great height and grape clusters as large as a man. The largeness and fine workmanship of which was a surprising sight to the spectators to see what vast materials there were and with what great skill the workmanship was done. This enormous vine was of spectacular beauty. And so there is the truth of God. Carved in stone, covered with gold, God's people, 
could not go into the temple to worship the one who had created them, the one who had rescued them, the one who had redeemed them, the one who had called them precious and a choice vine. They couldn't go to worship him without remembering that he had called them, rescued them, redeemed them to bear fruit for him and for his glory. And so where the truth is planted, Satan will attempt to plant a lie so that he can steal and destroy what belongs to God. And he was successful. For example, wealthy contributors, wealthy contributors paid to have their own names inscribed in the gold leaves of the branches. Surely a contribution to the temple is a good deed. My name displayed for the glory of God. Last week, we saw that when the most religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, went out into the desert to hear John preach, John said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So the implication is, these religious people, they were bearing fruit, but not good fruit. Because what they did did not emanate from, it did not radiate from a repentant heart or a heart turned toward God. In a similar way, Jesus says to this same group of people later, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good fruit, good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you see, the issue is not producing fruit. Fruit's always being produced. The question is, is it good fruit or bad truth? bad fruit. And so we see the, the deception and the lies that swirl around good works. And so two days later, two days after they had marveled at the vine and the branches and the cluster of grapes over the door leading into the temple, Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. That truth chiseled in stone, covered with gold in the temple, that's now me. And to the disciples, he said, in you, you are the branches. The branches hanging down, laden with large clusters of grapes in the temple. That's you. Go bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. The command is to you and to me as well. What we do in our lives should be to produce these glorious clusters of grapes. And so for the past three weeks, we've been talking about what fruit is. Thus far, we've defined fruit as the characteristics of the Spirit, found in our spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If all of these, not some, if all of these characteristics are present inside you, through the power of the Spirit, you are bearing fruit. Secondly, we saw that bearing fruit is knowing Christ. That our relationship with 
Christ must not just be a casual acquaintance. And so if you are seeking to know Christ more intimately through prayer, through the Word, through the Lord's Supper, through these means of grace, if that's what you seek in your life, then you're bearing fruit. Last week, we talked about the fruit of repenting, repenting of sin. If increasingly in your life, out of grief over your sin, hatred for it, you turn from that sin and you turn toward Christ. And as you turn to Him, you turn with a fresh resolve to live in better obedience. And if that obedience looks like you looking through Christ, Okay, how about that? Can, can live stream hear this? This is going to throw me. That's all right. So, so the last, well, those other three kinds of fruit we, we've talked about, they are more inward. Of course, when they're present in our lives, there is an outward application or an outward expression of them. But there's another kind of fruit that is more specifically and more intentionally outward that comes from repentance. And it's the kind of fruit that we refer to as good works. In John Stott's commentary series, Bruce Milne writes this about what Jesus says here in John chapter 15. We should therefore beware of interpretations of this passage, which concentrates solely on our inward relationship with the Lord. Its real thrust is the renewal of the mission of Israel through Jesus the Messiah and the disciple community. While more subjective aspects are not entirely absent, the primary focus remains bracingly objective and missionary. I believe he might overstate the case a little bit in pitting inward and outward against each other, but nevertheless, he makes a good point. The bearing fruit is both inward and outward. It's relational with Christ, and it's missional to the world. The two must always go together. When John was preaching to those who came out to the wilderness about 
bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, they asked him, what shall we do? And John answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him. And he said, and they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So you see, these are good works, right? Sharing what you have with others. Don't overcharge. Don't extort. But are they good works? Are they good fruit in and of themselves? Is it good fruit if you give away what you have? If you share the food you have with a a grudging heart? If you give reluctantly or if you give under compulsion, does it remain good fruit? Of course, the cold person who is warmed by your tunic thinks it's good fruit. Of course, the person who is hungry that's fed with the food you give them, they believe it's good fruit. But does God think so? Because here's the thing. God is the only fruit inspector. God is the only one who can determine whether the fruit we produce, whether the works we do are good works or not. Because God is the only one who can see the heart. Our hearts deceive us. And that's why John, Jesus says here in John 15 that we must abide in him so that we are not deceived. Look. Here's God's great truth that we've been seeing this week and last week. The truth is this. Repent. The lie that Satan plants right beside God's truth is this. Do penance. Do penance. The lie is so subtle. It's so close to the truth. The words even sound similar, don't they? Repent. Do penance. Repent. Do penance, but the heart that produces both of those is vastly different. Just to say again, repentance requires that we turn, that we turn from sin, that we turn from self, and that we turn to Christ to do what only he can do. And if I might add something here, can I add something? I want to clean up a little bit, maybe from last week by saying this, repentance and confession are not the same thing. Repentance and confession are not the same thing. This is another deception of Satan to make us think they are. He seeks to get you and me to say a quick, sorry, and believe then that we have repented and done all that is required of us. No, to confess is simply to concede or to admit that something is factual or true. I'm a sinner. I sinned. True story. I confess. To confess is merely to be aware of and to acknowledge your past. But confession is not enough. And confession 
is not repentance. Listen to this. Repentance is awareness of your past in light of your future with Jesus. Isn't that good? Repentance is awareness of your past in light of your future with Christ. That's good, isn't it? Anything good doesn't come from me. That came from our own elder, Yates. He's not quotable yet, but he will be someday. I confess that I was that. I did that, but now I'm turning to Christ for a more hopeful future, a more fruitful future. I'm turning to Christ for a a future obedience, a future that's full of get-tos and not a future of have-tos. That's repentance. Repentance looks to a future lived in the presence of Jesus. So remember that we're talking about the good fruit or the good works that are produced in keeping with repentance to attempt any of us to attempt to do good works without repentance is to attempt to practice without the presence. And without the presence of Jesus, you have no power. See, that was the Pharisees' problem. They attempted to practice, but they had no presence. And with no presence, they had no power. And so their works were not good. And what did Jesus call them? A brood of vipers. Again, to quote, quote Yates. These are good, Yates. To practice without presence is an illusion of power. To practice without presence is an illusion of power. You think you have the power to be right and good. But if you're not abiding in the presence of Christ for his strength, you can never be right. You can never produce good. And that's why it's called the fruit of repentance. And so that's the place that you and I must always start. We must always be turning to Christ. We must abide in him as he requires us to do over and over again in these verses In John 15, abide in me. That's the truth. Here's the lie of Satan. Penance. Do penance. Which is turning not to Christ and what he has done, but turning to self for what you must do. That's penance. Not turning to Christ, but turning to self and what you must do. Penance says that somehow you and I can pay for, we can make up for our sins by doing good works. And let me tell you this, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture will you find this command to do penance. What what greater offense could there be to the cross of Christ than to look upon it And say to Jesus, you did not do enough when you hung there. Your sacrifice was not complete. To say to him that when he said to us on the cross, it is finished because he knew that in that moment he had done everything that needed to be done. 
to pay for our sins, that what he really meant was, well, actually, I'm only getting you started off on this arduous, exhausting journey of earning your salvation. Now you have to do the rest. Here's the truth to that lie. Jesus has fully paid for your sins and mine. Is that good news? Nothing remains for us to do. As far as our salvation is concerned, we can do nothing to earn it. The best we could possibly do wouldn't even be good enough. You cannot make up for your sins by the good works that you do. You can't make God any more willing to love you by what you do than he already loves you. You can't. And it's a lie to believe otherwise. God didn't send Jesus because people were finally good enough, because we had finally earned enough points for us to say, okay, son, now you can go to earth. No. God sent Jesus to earth because he so loved the world. Am I telling the truth? It's the truth of Scripture. It's so easy to exchange God's lie, God's truth for Satan's lie. It's as easy as walking across the street, especially when Satan's lie is so close to God's truth. If you offer before the Lord a basket overflowing with good works, you've fed the poor, you've clothed the naked, you've worked justice on behalf of other people, You visited the prisoner in jail. And if you present that to the Lord and say, here, Lord, it is. And if you present it to him in order to somehow win his love, his affection, his acceptance, or even if you do it because you believe heaven's getting kind of close and you want to secure your place there, I am quite confident God will say, bad fruit, rotten fruit. Take it out of my sight. Because it comes from a heart that does not believe the gospel. His good news about Jesus. But if you offer that very same basket, full of the very same fruit, and you say, here, Lord, through your presence, By your power, for your glory, I bring you this basket. I feel quite certain God will say, good fruit. Well done. God looks at your heart, my heart. You have to ask yourself as I ask myself, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Are you believing the truth or the lie? Are you doing good things? For the right reasons, for the glory of God, and not for your salvation? The lie is always going to ask, are you sure? Shouldn't you do good things to make up for your sins? At least to secure your place in heaven? What if the gospel that you believed really is too good to be true? What then? 
Hmm? Bad fruit. The truth says, Jesus paid it all. I do what I do because his presence is so powerful that I'm compelled to do what I would never have wanted to do before, but I want to do it now, and I want to do it for his glory. I want to do it because God wants good done in his world. What I do, it isn't me. It's all him. That's good fruit. John Calvin writes that God's people should desire not riches or honors or anything of that nature which the flesh foolishly desires, but the vital sap of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ, which enables them to bear fruit. Repent. Abide in the presence of Christ. Do good works. Let's pray. That's our prayer, Lord. Make us repentant people. Make us people who abide in your presence. Then move us out into this world doing good works for the good of people made in your image, but mostly for your glory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.